and welcome to another episode of Latina Law LA. It's your host, Tatiana, and it's a beautiful day to be a Latina law student. So for today's episode, I want to talk to all of y'all about the importance of self-advocacy. Now, some of y'all may be familiar with it, some of y'all may not be familiar with it, and that's okay. And that's just because self-advocacy comes from a very individual place. Learning what tools constitute as self-advocacy comes through lived experiences. It comes through one's own personal timeline on reaching that learned skill of self-advocacy. And it comes through each of us having our own goals that we want to meet in our personal or professional life and using self-advocacy to reach that goal. But by the end of this podcast episode, I just really want to highlight to all of y'all how empowering self-advocacy can be. And especially as a Latina law student and as a future Latina attorney, self-advocacy is one of my most powerful skills that I have. Unfortunately, like I've spoken to all of y'all before, Latinas are severely underrepresented in the legal profession. We make up less than 2% of all U.S. attorneys. And since I am a woman of color pursuing a career in a profession that tends to be white male dominated, if I don't use self-advocacy to voice my concerns, to call attention to my presence, and basically demand recognition for all the skills and everything that I basically have to offer, I will tend to be overlooked for certain things. But to make sure that doesn't happen to me, I will use self-advocacy. So I just want to talk to y'all about self-advocacy today and highlight three things that I think would be really important to all of y'all on exploring your own journey when it comes to self-advocacy and hopefully learning what tools you can use, how you can empower yourself, and how you can advocate for yourself. So quick stories time on why self-advocacy is so important. And this is just through my personal experiences. And honestly, it's not a story I've shared that often with other people, even with some of my close friends, because it's kind of traumatic to relive it through telling it. But I think it's important to share because it highlights perfectly why self-advocacy is so important and Honestly, for me, it's like my origin story about learning about self-advocacy and really engaging with it and making sure that I would never be put in this position again. But my story begins with me being a 13-year-old going into eighth grade. I was a year ahead in mathematics because I had tested um, advanced. So I was supposed to go from algebra one in seventh grade to geometry in eighth grade. However, when I got my schedule for the upcoming academic year for 8th grade, I saw that I was placed in Algebra 1. And I was really confused. I didn't understand why the school had placed me into Algebra 1 again, especially because I had passed the class and I had met the requirements to continue on to Geometry. So I brought my schedule to my my mom and I told her, I was like, Mom, they're making me repeat Algebra 1. And she asked me why, like, did you not pass the class? Did you not meet the requirements? And I'm like, no, like, I met the requirements. I passed the class. I don't know what's going on. And thankfully, at this time, my mom was my biggest advocate when it came to my education. And I'm thankful because as a 13-year-old, I didn't understand the politics that were motivating this decision. And it wasn't until I was 18, and I really talked to my mom about what had happened, that I 
learned really what was driving all of this. But back to the story, me and my mom decide to go to the school administration to ask why I was being placed into Algebra 1 again. Now, the first excuse that they gave me was, well, the classroom is already full. We don't have enough students, like enough, I guess, places for students and we can't accommodate to your daughter. Now, my mom, thankfully, didn't back down and she kept pressing and pressing. And by the end of this whole conversation, we had learned that not only was the class full, it was already over capacity. So that this meant that they had already accommodated extra spaces to other students, but not to me. And ultimately, their reasoning was that as someone who is categorized as an ESL student, which is English as a second language, and this is the categor um, categorization that I received from kindergarten due to some paperwork, that's my primary language at home was Spanish, but as a categorization of an ESL student, they thought it was beneficial for me to repeat the class. Yes, you're hearing that right. The school made its own decision using its own discretion that it was beneficial for me as an ESL student to repeat a class that I had already passed. And it was upsetting to my mom. I didn't understand the politics of it. I just thought, well, damn, I'm going to have to retake this class. But thankfully, my mom did not back down. And it wasn't until we threatened them with a lawsuit due to discriminatory educational practices that the school decided to accommodate me. Now, this meant that I would give up one of my elective courses and I would take a double math period and walk over to the high school, which was right next door, to take geometry every single day with other high school students, even though I was still in middle school. And I was super excited. I was like, yes, I'm going to take my class. I'm going to move ahead with life. But that excitement ended rather abruptly when I had learned that there was another student who was also advanced in mathematics. He was actually two years ahead and that the school had already accommodated to him in this exact same way without any problems and they had done it weeks ahead of me. See, I was only provided this accommodation, I would say maybe the second or third week of school but he had started off the academic year already with this accommodation. So like I said, this is my origin story of why I learned self-advocacy was so important. And I hope through talking through these three questions that I want to pose to all of y'all, that y'all can see how empowering self-advocacy can actually be and that y'all start using your voices and engaging in them and making sure that you are considered and recognized and acknowledged for everything that you have to offer and that some aspect of your identity doesn't hold you back when it has nothing to do with your capacity and ability to succeed and, you know, basically meet these goals and requirements that are set out for all of y'all in this professional field. So I have three guided questions that I think will really be beneficial to kind of drive this exploration of the journey of self-advocacy and I think these are just really important questions that all of y'all should really be asking yourselves while you're exploring your own path of self-advocacy and your own journey of self-advocacy. So the first question I want to ask all of y'all is 
Do you currently engage in any self-advocacy practices? And if you don't, why not? Why not? Now, had you asked me this six or seven years ago, I can confidently say that I rarely ever engaged in self-advocacy practices. I was really kind of timid when it came to my education, and I kind of just rolled with the punches. But I am so thankful to have been blessed with my mom, who has always been my main advocate in all aspects of my life, but especially when it came to my education. And like the story that I shared with y'all right now, I was categorized as an ESL student, and it wasn't because I actually tested into the program or needed the support of the program. It was all because of paperwork. And for me, when I learned this first story about like how my mom had to fight so hard and basically sue a threat in a lawsuit for us to sue the school for me to be warned to the opportunities that I should have been in the first place because I was qualified for them. This ignited me and it angered me to learn that I was basically discriminated against because of something that was so important to my identity. Because why wouldn't I speak Spanish at home? I am the daughter of Mexican immigrants. I grew up speaking Spanish. My first word was in Spanish. And honestly, for the first two or three years of my life, I spoke very little English. So why wouldn't my primary language at home be Spanish? But like I said, that was just me looking back now when I learned about the story as an 18-year-old. But now as a 24-year-old in her second year of law school, I take a slightly different perspective of it. Yes, I'm so happy that that was my origin story and that it really encouraged me to pursue everything that would be beneficial to me. But the way I look at it is more as, I guess, an ode to my mom. Uh, an example of why I'm so thankful to her because I look back on it and now I think about what could have happened had my mom not advocated for me. Would I have gotten into college? Would I have gotten into eight law schools with scholarship offers? Would I still be on track to become an attorney? And it's really frightening for me to say that I cannot confidently say that, yes, I would still be on track to become an attorney despite what happened, that yes, I would have still gotten into eight law schools with scholarship offers, despite what had happened, that had my mom just took a step back and said, you know what, okay, we're not going to fight it, that yes, I still would have been able to accomplish everything that I've had so far. So I guess what I really want y'all to take away from this is that self-advocacy is key. It's so important, and it's so powerful. For me, what motivated me to start engaging in self-advocacy was realizing how many opportunities would have not been extended to me in the first place had I not asked. So for all of y'all who don't really engage in self-advocacy, this is your message to start. Start! Because self-advocacy is one of the best ways to advance professionally and academically. So the next question I want to ask all of y'all is, how often do you engage in self-advocacy practices? What I'm really asking all of y'all with this question is, do you engage in it based on how often it's needed? Or do you engage in it in how often you feel like you're allowed to? These are completely different questions because they highlight completely different things. One of them highlights how self-advocacy is a form of self-empowerment. 
And the other highlights how we are often controlled by saying engaging in self-advocacy is selfish. And it's a form of control. We need to move away from this mentality, especially in the legal field, that engaging in self-advocacy is selfish, especially when it comes from someone who's from a marginalized community who's navigating this space. But I say that we need to take on the mentality that self-advocacy is exactly what the legal field needs to diversify, to reform, and to increase access for future Latina attorneys. You're never asking for too much when you're simply asking for what you deserve and for what you worked for. And the reason why I'm saying that you need to engage in self-advocacy practices based on how often you need to is because you never know where it will take you. And for me, it really wasn't until my second year of college that I learned and really started engaging in self-advocacy and learned that engaging or just doing asking for one thing for myself could open the door for me. And the main example I have of that is asking for a letter recommendation. Now, I know, not too wild. I know y'all were probably expecting something more extreme. But for me, asking for a letter of recommendation was a huge deal. Because this was the first time I was going to ask for a letter of recommendation from a college professor. And especially because I was applying to a position where it was at a law school immigration clinic. So it was something that was significantly important, not just to my future education as a law student, but also my future career as an immigration attorney. And I thank God that I mustered up the strength to ask for this letter of recommendation from the only woman of color faculty member in the political science department. She was literally the only one. And she turned out to be my mentor. And I'm so thankful to her for taking me under her wing and really forcing me to grasp with the idea that I was not speaking up for myself enough. She literally called me out on it. And I was like, wow, that is so true. So like I said, I'm so thankful to her to really like igniting me and motivating me to keep asking for what I needed. Because had I not asked for this letter of recommendation, I would have never applied to the clinic. I would have never been accepted. I never would have gained months of legal experience. And I never would have met my first Latina immigration attorney who is currently a law school professor at my law school. Because yes, I applied to a, a law school immigration clinic at Loyola Law School. So what I really want you all to draw from this is that you never know where that one moment of self-advocacy is going to take you. You just really never know. And the more you engage in self-advocacy, the easier it's going to be because it is a learned skill. So practice, 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 because you never know where that one question is going to take you. So the last question I want to ask all of y'all is, how do you feel when you engage in self-advocacy practices? Is it empowering? Is it stressful? Does it feel foreign to do? And the reason why I'm asking you all of this is because depending on how you feel when you engage in self-advocacy practices is directly reflected in how often you engage with it. So what I really want to push all of y'all is to move away from this toxic mentality that says that engaging in self-advocacy is selfish and it's demanding 
It's not. It's empowering. It's revolutionary. And this is something I had to learn because I grew up in this mentality that advocating for myself as a first generation daughter of immigrants, Latina student was me being too demanding. I used to feel weird doing it, but it was through practicing and engaging and seeing the benefits of it that really showed to me that no, I'm not being selfish or demanding. I'm just asking for what I need. And the last example I really have for it all is me asking for what I needed from my professor when I was her research student. What I really needed from her was just to reduce my hours for the week and not work so that I could focus on my paper for her class and also because I had two exams on the same day. So I think had I not been empowered at this time to engage in self-advocacy and ask for my hours to be reduced, I would have never reached out to her. But by this time, I had learned on the impact and power of self-advocacy. So I did reach out and I asked for my hours to be cut. And it was through conversation and letting her know that, yes, I had a final paper for her class due on the same day that I had two exams, that she said, you know what, I'll, you, you can make up your hours later and I'm going to provide you some extra support and give you an extension on your paper if you need it. And that was literally just because I had now learned to ask for what I needed. So like I said, let's move away from that mentality that engaging in self-advocacy is selfish. As a Latina law student, I've often been told that I should just be grateful to be in law school or in other words, to have a spot at the table. And that's why many of us may feel like we don't engage in self-advocacy as often as we would like to. But after seeing the positive outcomes that come from self-advocacy, I say no to that toxic mentality. Instead, I feel empowered, assertive, and feel confident that I'm making it easier for future Latina attorneys to pursue the same opportunities by just asking. So what I really want y'all to take away from this is no, you are not asking for too much. You are worth it. You will miss all the shots you never take. And the answer will always be no if you never ask. What I hope you drew from those three questions I asked is how important self-advocacy is for your growth and why you need to start doing it today. Yes, today. Everyone has their own self-advocacy journey and you should go at the speed that feels encouraging for you. Furthermore, everyone has their own tactic of engaging in self-advocacy So you should engage in practices that are encouraging, empowering, and healthy for you. As a Latina law student, self-advocacy is one of my most powerful tools. It ensures that I receive the support that I feel I need. It ensures that I'm considered for opportunities that I may have originally been overlooked for. And lastly, and most importantly, it allows me to gauge whether I'm working with people and institutions that are committed to my growth and success in the same way that I'm committed to their growth and success. As Latinas, we already have to work twice as hard to be extended the same opportunities. So with all the barriers that we face and have to overcome to become attorneys, there's no need to allow imposter syndrome to further restrain us from advocating for what we need and what we're entitled to. So the last question I want to pose to all of y'all, and this is a question to take with you on the road, is how are you going to advocate for yourself this year? 
As always, Latinas may only make up 2% of U.S. attorneys, but we are worth so much more. With love and empowerment, Latina Law LA. Thank you.